You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and SJ Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! heard the theme music that means it's time time for the x-man podcast i'm your host doc coil it has been quite some time since my last episode and for that i apologize but uh yeah it's been a really crazy few weeks uh i pretty much did a tour playing with mark morton from lamb of god his solo band had to come home move within the course of about five days uh, after I'd been living in the same place for over three years. So that was quite an undertaking. And then immediately I had to leave for a bad wolves tour, uh, which was only a week, but it was a lot of flying and just craziness. And, um, you know, some things happened that I can't really talk about. And I just was not in the right headspace to do a show. Uh, this show is, is a labor of love. And if I'm just not feeling it, if I don't, if I can't bring the enthusiasm and I can't bring uh, a sense of positivity and kind of a, you know, hopefulness, you know, just that, that, that dot coil thing that I do, you know, then it's, I don't think it's really worth it. I don't, I don't want this to feel uh, laborious. And uh, anyway, so, and unfortunately yeah, I can't really talk about it, but it's a, uh, you know, your boy needed a, 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 a minute, you know, a few, a few days, more than a few days to kind of collect you know, I had to, to collect myself and kind of reflect and relax, decompress. And uh, I guess we all have to do that sometimes because um, life does throw you some some curveballs from time to time. So but I do apologize for for not getting the content out to you guys. Uh, but that's, you know, that's how it's going to be sometimes until, you know, the X-Man is my full time job, which I don't think <laughs> anytime soon. But um. With all that, this is a very special episode. It's a very unique episode, and uh, so I, you know, I have to give you some background on it. So going back many, many months uh, to last year, uh, Bad Wolves did a crowdfunding campaign, and one of the perks we offered was that uh, you could uh, basically pay to be interviewed on on the show, and no one bought it. <laughs> Uh, no, that wasn't a blow to the ego or anything. It was perfectly fine. Uh, but anyway, um, months later after the crowdfunding campaign had ended, I had 
uh, a couple people reach out to me who are interested in possibly doing this. And I had to think about it uh, for a second, um, you know, because I, I really take seriously uh, the relationship between myself and, and the people who listen to the show. And, um, you know, after I after I thought about it for a little bit, I was like, all right, if I'm going to do this, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is make sure that I'm upfront with you, the listeners. So this is a sponsored show. Um, and I, I don't want there to be any um, subterfuge or, or uh, you know, I, I want to always be honest with with the audience and the people that listen to this show. So that that, that is that is the basis. But with that, um, after emailing and, and, and talking uh, with with both the, the individuals who are interested in being on the show, you know, it's still important to me to actually, OK, how can I do this and somehow keep something, make something compelling make something entertaining, make something informative. So I actually think I've done that. Uh, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll explain that by kind of talking about uh, the guests. So my first guest is a man named Matt Newfield, uh, defense attorney from Houston, Texas. Sounds boring, right? It is not boring. Uh, so I actually kind of dug into that and I got to kind of pick his brain about um, you know, the criminal justice system and stuff that I was interested in, you know, so we talk a little bit about his background. You'll hear that coming up. That'll be the first interview. And he's a, he was a great guy and really cool. And we actually did that interview on Shiprocked. Uh, so that'll be the last of the, the Shiprocked sessions. And then the second interviewer conversation, like I said, we have conversations on here, not, not interviews, is with a man named Thomas Crawford, who is a guitar player uh, who has a band called Seraphim, an instrumental band. Uh, he's from Cincinnati uh, and West Virginia area, but currently lives in Seattle. And he's a musician. And I thought it would be great to kind of get the perspective. I'm always talking to professional musicians, but a lot of the listeners of this show uh, don't make a living from, from music and I thought it would be valuable to get that perspective on the show uh, because that's a lot of people are listening to this show. That's the perspective they're coming from and telling that story, I think, does have value. And anyway, I hope you guys uh, do enjoy this this show and I, and I hope you do listen to it. And I have to give you another caveat. I'm actually breaking the show up into two parts. Um so I'm going to have both guests going to have Matt and Thomas on this episode. And then I'm going to have a second episode with basically a Q&A where they ask me questions. Uh, I thought it would be more digestible in two different parts. And so here is part one. Please enjoy my conversation with Matt Newfield and Thomas Crawford. Matt Newfield, welcome to the X Man Podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Right on. So, um, so this this episode we're we're doing is really highlighting listeners of the show. I hate to say fans; that feels pretentious. The fans of the show, uh, <laughs> I you know, the listeners, the, the the people who consume what what I do, and it it's not the biggest show in the world, but I know for the people that do listen to the show, there there is some impact. There's some consistency. People. Whether it's, you know, in person, hey, man, I really love what you're doing with the show. And Absolutely. They'll, they'll kind of get into it or I'll get messages or emails. And um, 
So I definitely know there, there there's an impact, but um, one of the things as a, as a listener to the show, and this is kind of something just out of my curiosity, uh, for you, like what is it that you get out of the show or what's kind of the main uh, pull? Well, and it, I think what really drew me to it in the beginning was, you know, I, start, I started seeing some names of some artists that I liked, yeah. you know, which was a lot of guys that you were on tour with at the time. And, um, you know, I just gave it a shot, started listening. I think I'd mentioned before, uh, you know, I'd never really listened to podcasts before, yeah. but I was like, well, cool. I like bad wolves. Like he's got this podcast. Let's check it out. <laughs> and what I really liked about it was just that, you know, it kind of just seems like you're just hanging out having conversations with people and about real things too. Like it's, it starts with metal and music and, and kind of where it's going and where you've been or where they've been. But, uh, what I, what I really like about it is it's just like, these are people that you either know really, really well, some very good friends of yours, it seems like, yeah. or some people that you don't know that well, you're still getting to know, but you can sit down and have an hour and a half conversation just about, you know, everything it's topical, but it's just, it's fascinating to me. Well, it's, it's something about, putting the headphones on, having the computer out, having the mics out, it allows you to kind of open up in a way that I think, not that it feels official, but it feels like almost as if you if you were going to a therapist's office, the, the couch and the, you know, <laughs> right? just, just the, uh, you know, the environment it, it itself kind of in, induces this, um, this way to open up because I think in, in some regards, in normal life, we don't have these spaces to just, converse and just talk and be be open and and nine times out of ten when it's someone i've known or even if i've known him that long for example like i had uh, zach from shinedown yep we I would just that talk that way anyway right we'd be at catering we'd be handed by the bus and we would just kind of get into whatever sure and um and then so anytime something hap- like that happens it's like oh this would be a perfect guest for the podcast because we're kind of going down rabbit holes and we're um you know, get really getting into things in in a way that would, I think, would be interesting to 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 someone else because there is a an insider element to Ex- some of this where we're sharing an experience um, that a lot of people who aren't on that side of the industry or people who are in the industry but just haven't gotten to that level they won't right. they won't they won't really know or just average guy like me is on the outside and kind of gets to look in and yeah. just sees like you know it kind of like just like who you really are yeah. like my whole feeling the whole you know the whole reason i reached out to you was just because i felt like doc seems just like a cool guy and like <laughs> if i just reached out to him i have i have a feeling he's probably gonna at least respond even if it's just to say sorry bro but you know you're nice enough to let me come on here and do this so yeah well i i, I, I try to man that's, that's one of the thing as the band kind of got busier and you you tour obviously you get more messages and you get more attention and it gets a little sometimes that inbox kind of oh, you're like sure. all right let me talk and even now there's probably messages because i'm like i have technically three different facebook pages oh wow and i have <laughs> <laughs> which is uh you know it's a little it's a little ridiculous but um because essentially before this band was taking off i was working on all these projects and i was trying to it's this weird thing when you're struggling you're trying to get attention right right but then once things are going well you're like I need, there's too much attention. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Like we're kind of, it's kind of ridiculous how humans are. We're like, with the thing we want, like, I really need people to pay attention to this. And then once it's going, you're like, can people leave me alone? <laughs> you're like, wait, can I take that back? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, but, but, but with that, it's been kind of trying never to forget that, Hey, a year ago, two years ago, I was really, really responsive to people and to not lose that ethic. Right. You know, even mm-hmm. though things are, are, are going better and there's more going on as to 
people like you reach out, just be kind of available and try and answer questions and whatever they have and anything, any way I can help and be available not just be someone who's like, listen, I'm too quote unquote important now. Right. Which I, but the thing is you have to understand, I think for certain people, they literally are too busy. They just don't. Oh, for sure. They don't have the time in the day. Like Tommy, our singer, he probably gets 10 times as many messages as me that he couldn't go yeah, through them if, if he tried. You know? I think he did one of those Instagram story things where he's like, ask me a question. And I yeah. think somebody complained like, why aren't you answering everybody's questions? And he said, I have like 60,000 responses or something nuts. Well, I mean, like, there probably wasn't literally 60,000, but there's quite, probably quite a bit. He may have been rounding up a little bit, yeah. but still. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. So let's um let's talk about you for, um, for, for a bit. So... You are from San Antonio, Texas. Born and raised, yes, sir. And um, and you are a criminal defense, defense attorney. Attorney, yes. How did you? How did? How did that come about? So actually, it's kind of funny because you know, like a, a lot of people always say, "Man, like I wanted to be a lawyer my whole life. I want to do this my whole life." I'm I'm totally not that. Um, I was actually kind of just like a punk kid just going through college. Um, like I had an eyebrow ring and that's actually, I think that was the catalyst. I had an eyebrow ring <laughs> for real. Yeah. But it got infected. Um, oh. And then, but it was, it's like, you know what though? I think I was saved from the nineties, you know, cause you have those <laughs> pictures, like you see like pictures of like stained and stuff. Yeah. But like, you're like, Oh, that was like a thing. And it didn't really last. The, yeah. Some of the, some of the piercings, you know, that's true. So, but that was kind of the catalyst for, for my parents. You know, they were, they hated it, of course. And the so ring, the eyebrow, ring. the eyebrow ring. Okay. Right. So it was like spring break, spring break, 2000 something. I was 20. So no tribal tattoos. No, no. no tri- I have a tattoo, but nothing tribal, <laughs> nothing that douchey. I'm like just halfway there. Not all the way. Hey, I have a douchey tattoo. It's okay. <laughs> What'd you t- which one? I mean, oh, that's not bad. It's, it's, it's okay, but it's not, it's not relevant. It's not a full on like barbed wire around no, your I know. bicep. I know. But is barbed wire tribal? Like what? Uh, fair. It's like, Hey man. See, a real motherfucker just would wrap actual barbed wire around his arm, that, you know. That's a, that's a tough guy. Or, or do like the guys in Nothing More and like brand themselves. Yeah, they're they're serious. <laughs> but um, so so anyways, my, my parents hated it. And so my dad, he's not an attorney, but he's worked with attorneys most of his life. He works in contracts. And he was like, look, like I worked at Express for Men. Like I was working retail in the mall, just kind of nearing the end Can of college. Can you still give me a discount? Oh shoot! <laughs> okay, never mind. Never mind. I, I wish I still got a discount. Dude. I think I, I think I still wear clothes that I got from that discount. Dude. The best blazer <laughs> ever bought. Still, still got it. That's mine's my like winter coat, my heavy winter coat that you have to wear oh, yeah. in Houston. Like shout once out to a Express, year, right? If you want to uh, sponsor the show, hit holler at your boy. <laughs> so um, I was working retail. My dad's like, "You need to get a real job." It was really just an excuse to make me take this off. And he's like, "I got a friend at this law firm." He's going to hire you. You're going to be the bottom of the totem pole. You're going to be doing bitch work, filing papers. That's it. And uh, so I started working that job, and, and I started seeing the guys in the big offices, and I was kind of watching what they're doing, and I'm like, man, that's like, that's kind of cool. I kind of want to do that. And um, some time passed. I graduated. I ended up going to a different law firm. This is all in Austin. I did my undergrad at UT Austin. And so um, I ended up at a different law firm, and now I've graduated, so I'm, I, I'm like, got a degree and I, how, English. How, how long ago? Uh, this was 2004. Okay, so a while my, ago. Okay. Yeah, a little while ago. I know I'm I'm, I'm older than I look, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I got a I got an English degree, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Everybody was like, "You want to be a teacher?" And I was like, "Absolutely not. Uh, not for any like I I love and respect teachers. I really think they're horribly underpaid, but it just I just didn't fit with me. Yeah, I mean, I think teaching is a uh, a calling. 
to a, to a, to a, to a, sure. to a certain degree. Well, for good teachers. I think, I think there's some bad teachers who kind of just... Or just doing it. I can get a job, so I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Right. I know I can do that. Yeah. And so, um, anyways, to fast forward a little bit, I started, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I took a little time off after college because I worked so hard. I worked so hard, which really just meant like, you know, I partied too much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I took a little time off, kind of got my head straight, stud- uh, decided I wanted to do it, stud- took the test to go in. I did decent enough to get into a pretty good school. Law school. Law school. Yeah. And, um, and just kind of took the leap. Yeah. But uh, I guess to finally get around to answering your original question, I actually fell into criminal defense also. So I fell into being a lawyer completely. But um, when I graduated in 2009, that was when the economy was in the dumps. I remember. And <laughs> rough year. It was a really rough. Actually, it was the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> and so uh, when I got out, so you take the bar in July. You're not a lawyer until you get your results, which is in November. Mm. So I wasn't one of the smart kids like the rest of the kids I went to school with and like, you know, had a job and had been working. Like all I did was school because it took everything I got just to get through it. And uh, so when I got out, I didn't have a job, but I was trying to, I thought, I thought I wanted to do contracts like my dad does. So I was like, yeah, this is really cool. Like work multi-million dollar contracts and deal with people's money. Like, I think that'd be cool. Um, but again, there was no jobs. And so this, this this one lawyer from Conroe, right after I got my results in November of 2009, um, he, he posted a job thing on our school's website, and it was, all you had to do was send a resume. And I, who, who likes writing cover letters, right? You had to write cover letters for all these other jobs. And I'm like, that's too much work. I don't want to like write a whole letter about how I pretend to care about what you guys do. So I was like, cool, I'll just shoot a resume to this guy. And he calls me a little while later, and he was, he was from New York. He had a real, like, you know, to me, like a real New York accent. You know, and I'm not gonna try and do what it. What the fuck are you doing? You want a job? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, sorry, that's way better than what I. All could right, do. well, get, come down it now. Just come over now. You got a car? All right, good, good. That's good. <laughs> that's Meet me an hour. You got a suit? Put on the suit. That's it. That and and so I go and meet him like the next day, and uh, I call my parents. Like he, he, no joke. He stops off at a bank and he, he he's he. So so we show up at the office. We're there for 10 minutes and he hops up and he's like, okay, you ready to go? And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? He's like, we're going to lunch. Let's go. And we hop in his like fancy Ben's and he drives me down to this restaurant, uh, in a, like a little nicer part of town, I guess you could say. And, uh, he stops off at the bank. He's like one minute and he reaches in her center console and grabs a handful of cash and he goes inside. <laughs> and so I call my parents and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this lawyer I'm about to start working for is in the witness protection program. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know what's going on with this guy. Uh, it was the strangest interview ever, but was he a criminal lawyer or a criminal lawyer. You know, I think he towed the line. I think he had a <laughs> reputation for towing the line of both. Uh, I ended up working for him for a couple of years. Honestly, he actually just passed away last year, unfortunately. Oh, wow. um, but it, so did it, you end up, working for him i did yeah he offered me the job the next day and i was like well he was basically like i'm not going to pay you much but you're going to learn a lot and i was like that sounds better than nothing so let's go so but he actually did defense law yes yeah sorry so uh when i'd left law school i was telling all my friends like there's two things i'm not going to do criminal defense or family law and then well there you go and so i kind of fell into it but then i like once i started doing the work i actually fell in love with it so, you know, I, I, I made the uh, the Breaking Bad reference, and I, I imagine for you that's kind of difficult to, to get around now with the popularity of the uh, Better Call Saul show, right. which is, I have to say, 
feels very inside baseball. Like I feel like I'm a paralegal now when I see Kim <laughs> constantly, you know, going over documents and seeing how how boring and this like they never go home. There, it's like one in the morning and she's still, you know, typing away. I'm just like, I really don't want to fucking be a lawyer. Just the amount of work, <laughs> it seems like, and the pressure and just, you know. My my aunt's a lawyer, so I get a little. But she does contract law, right? So, but I know, so but I know she busts her ass. Oh yeah, yeah. It's you know, and I think I really underestimated that. I was kind of spoiled when I came out, and I thought like, you know, you come out, you work nine to five, and you're good. And no, what's nine to five? You're on you're on salary, or you're on what retainer? It's you're you have no time you're, off, right? You're always on the job. Yeah, and and I didn't learn that for a while. I was kind of a brat. But it, it's funny, like the older I got, and and my wife really pushed me a lot because she she's a real she's just a naturally hard worker, yeah. and so just like I finally started learning, like wow, there's a whole lot more to this. And so, fast forward to now, I actually run my own firm. Uh, I work for myself. Congratulations! And, um, thank you. It's it's really it's actually something also I never had any t- intention of doing in my life. Well, it must be interesting too be on, on that side of it in particular. I guess it doesn't matter which 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 side of it you're on. Um, because I guess you get to kind of enforce your ethic. Totally. You know, in terms of what kind of philosophy you want to utilize. Because you get to um, choose who you work with. But you also, defense attorneys also can be assigned, right, by the state. Yes. So, like, where where I work, you know, you there are some lawyers who, who are, you know, they do well enough on retained cases alone that they don't have to um, take court-appointed cases, is what they call them, where, where but I But it's am. not like by law you still have to... You don't have to, but oh, I do. Okay. I, I do, A, just, you know, because I need to, and B, just because, I you know, I, I think it's good because there, there are a lot, of, a lot of lawyers out there that take those kind of cases, the people that can't afford their own lawyer, who are just going to take them and try and sell them down the road as fast as they can and get paid. Yeah. And I'm not that guy, and I never will be, and so, like, I take them because I actually care, and yeah. like I'm gonna work it just as hard as any other case that I have. So have you, through this through this career, kind of gotten a, a different kind of perspective or respect for, for essentially our ju- how our justice system works, and that because we we tend to, um, I th- I think that you know our society is very conflicted yes. when it when it comes to this because we think we believe in like this idea of what America means and what justice means. Right. And yet we're also, there's kind of a lot of our, um, you know, just character really focuses on vengeance. Yes. Focuses on, um, punitively, you know, crime, you know, uh, crime and punishment. Uh, what was the old Nixon line about, um, about being tough on crime? I forget exactly what it, what it, what it was, but you know, and this is something that's been echoed by Trump: is that mm-hmm. the way to stop crime is just be you got to be tougher, you got to be harsher, and that's how you, oh, yeah. and, th- and that's how you stomp it out. Which is actually true in a weird way. You, if you can be like Duer- uh, Duterte, where you just like murder everyone, it's like you right. have zero crime, but everyone will be miserable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah, they're it's, all terrified that they're going to get arrested yeah, and have their hands just, chopped off. Just, yeah, exactly. Those 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 types of things. So you know, clearly, so we're this. We have this idea about. Hey, America, we stand for freedom. Right. But if you if you fuck up, we should like kill you and like murder your your family and stuff. It's it's pretty it's pretty. But anyway, I feel like I I kind of hijacked the answer there. But uh, you know, has that kind of changed the way you've you've thought about that stuff? Um, I think it's given me a different perspective in it. I think just being in it, um, you know, you, I I appreciate the people who do their job correctly, and it, and I think I have. 
I've learned more over time that we all kind of have our role in this system. Like, I think there's a misconception that all defense attorneys hate all police officers, right? Because they're, which I think is kind of backwards because A, they're our biggest source of income technically. (laughs) But B, you know, the truth is there's a lot of cops out there that are just trying to do their job and do it well. And I like those guys and I respect those guys and I get along with a lot of those guys. There are some that don't. And, you know, those are the ones that we got to watch out for. But that's what I feel like my my role and the, the most important thing that I am is like, you know, as, as a defense attorney, it is we are the last line of the defense between the citizen and an overzealous government. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that government is necessarily overzealous every time, but just, you know, if you ever, ever had a situation where Doc Coyle was charged with some sort of heinous crime that you know you didn't do because you're just awesome, you know, guitar player for Bad Wolves, no way could you have done that. You know, you want somebody that's going to go in there and say, well, what did they say you did? Why did they say you did that? What really happened? And, you know, let's figure out the best way to to take care of this problem for you. That's not just going to say, oh, okay, sure. I'm going to take care of you. Got you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting now, like I said, because of um, our media and pop culture and films and television, we kind of have, you know, whether it's the (laughs) law and order kind of the procedural kind of idea of it. But now we have all of these um these docu series now mm-hmm. right on like Netflix making the murderer oh yeah, and those, yeah that stuff is is super fascinating especially that that last season with that I forget the lady her her name but she's a she's a beast at, at your name I the, don't, from, I oh, don't. anyway there's season two of making the murder they they got this super lawyer on it and she's just like I don't know she's my hero I want to be like I want to be like her when I grow up but right. but, you, but you learn kind of about so she has this idea of um where she won't she said if she feels like her um her client is guilty she will not defend them um or or basically it's the idea that if they're guilty basically in there and they're she they're telling her that they're, that they're not guilty Ooh. she essentially would they're that because they're lying to her right so she essentially um investigates the case on her own mm-hmm. and then makes a determination if this person is worthy because other, because if they were guilty then she would say well then you're, you're just gonna plead guilty and then that'll be that you know right there's kind of no reason to have a, a trial a, a, a litigation lawyer for something like that right but i and feel like i know a lot more now so i'm like yeah yeah i mean you know you'd be surprised some of those tv shows like you mentioned like better call saul believe it or not because like my my wife has we've watched all those did you ever watch like goliath that was on uh i know what it is but i haven't seen amazon it. prime that it was pretty decent but it, the, the courtroom scenes were not great to, to me yeah but like the show that really got it right in my opinion was the, the good wife actually that's my wife made me watch that i promise but okay. it was shocking like i'm watching the courtroom scenes i'm like yeah that's how that works because like the thing that drives me craziest about like this is totally random and i got off off topic i don't i do that but law and order they always and this may be different in new york you know where they do this thing where they're just like objection and the judge will make a ruling, and I'm like, they don't do like that's not how this works. At least in Texas, it's like you have to say why. You can't just be like, oh, they can't do that. Like you have to give a reason, or else yeah. the judge can look at you like you're crazy. They'll look at you like, what? Are you, what are you doing? So, sorry, sidetrack there. <laughs> so, okay, the, the, now this is a this is a dumb question, but I think it's 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 worth worth having. <laughs> For lawyers, do they do they have like your stats? Like a boxer, like see her forty eight and zero undefeated. <laughs> is that 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 is you know it's funny you ask that because like you know if I'm talking to somebody who just got arrested and they want to come in you know the first thing they want to know is like 
you know, are you good at this? Yeah. <laughs> and and so you send them to your like your uh, your lawyer reference. They have like basketball reference, right? Like lawyer reference. <laughs> here my here my here stats, my man. stats. I shoot, you know, PR is thirty eight point nine percent from three, and yeah. you know, no, um, or yeah, the PR. <laughs> <laughs> I um, there's there's not a specific just because of there's so many broad possibilities of what could happen. Say yeah. like so in, in Texas, like. Your most common arrest is a DWI, driving while intoxicated, which around the rest of the country they're called DUIs. I don't know why, yeah. why Texas Under decided to be different. D, yeah, correct. While intoxicated, but anyways, like say as a first offense, never been arrested. It's it's like a low level misdemeanor in Texas, but um, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen to it. Like let's say that the DA felt like they had problems proving the case. You know, they could reduce it to a reckless driving or dismiss it, and you didn't have to go to trial and get a not guilty. You got a good result, but it's. So there's so many different versions of what a good result is. It's there really isn't a PER. It's 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 what I try to convey to somebody that's never been in trouble before and they're terrified and they're sitting in my chair going, "What what can you do for me?" It's I basically just break down the details. Uh, so you know, here's what happened. T- tell me everything that happened starting from the morning before you got arrested, when you woke up, what you did, what you ate, where you went why, what you were doing. Tell me about your family. I need to know everything about you because I need to know every angle of what I can do to get you the best result to try and avoid a conviction if at all possible. Yeah. Um, where do you see our justice system? And by the way, guys, for people listening, there's not, we're not just going to talk lawyer. We're going to, we're going to get some other stuff, but I, you know, th- now that I have him <laughs> here, I have to kind of abuse him of, of his, uh, of like his expertise. But, um, you know, because there's so, I feel like there's so much has evolved, right? So you go back to the 90s and they passed, Clinton passed all these crime bills, three strikes, um, the way, you know, the difference between they weighted um, crack cocaine versus uh, powder cocaine and, right. and that uh, disparity. And, you know, the pr- prison industrial complex and all, all this stuff. And then now in recent years, you know, since uh, smartphones became ubiquitous and there was all this footage and Black Lives Matter and this, all this stuff and kind of the way we, we've, we you know, uh, essentially for on the left and right, it's sure. seen that the drug wars failed and we're kind of evolving collectively that, you know, be, and, and in some ways it makes sense because you go back to the 70s and 80s, you had the peak of crime, right? Right. People don't, people don't really, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that, I looked this up, in 1990, there were over 2,000 murders in New York City. Wow. Last year, there were 200. That's a... Do you know how... Like, think about that. Yeah, that's a like, massive stat. So you, if you go during the 90s and look at the, um, like, all the violent crime rates in Los Angeles, like, during, like, the, the gang era, right. it was the same as, like, Afghanistan and Iraq. Like wow. that's how crazy shit shit was. So things have gotten much better. So I think people were kind of accurately responding to the politicians were accurately kind of trying to respond to what was going going on, which was fucking insane. But they didn't know that the crime rate would go down steadily for thirty years. No kidding. Um, and then, by the way, there's still multiple theories about why that happened. There's about you know there's a lot of different ideas about why they think that happened. Absolutely. But we're in a different environment now. So do you think we are? You know, the health is kind of good of of the system of kind of going towards something that's a little less vengeful, or that there needs to be criminal justice reform, or all this stuff. Are you for that, or uh, does it matter for it, where you come from? Do you have to be more objective. It, no, it it does matter um, a lot, and it, it, I'm going to try really hard to be objective right now because I had an experience this week that really 
really bothered me that had to do with with a client and and some drug issues and like you know i I don't know if you've heard this, but like, you know, I can't remember the stat, but it's some ridiculous number of people in the prison that are just, you know, low level drug offenses. And so in, in a place where I am in, in the County that I work in, in Texas, you know, it is very punitive. Yeah. Everything is just send them. Well, they, well, they still have the, the death penalty here, right? They do. And that's one of how, not that many States have it. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how many, but I'm, I know it's, you know, it's, it's out there. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't handled any of those yet, but um, you know, that day will come. But, um, but anyways, it's, you know, I think there's a big issue between, you know, a lot of people want to see the punitive, just, just put them away. They won't do it again if they, if you send them for long enough. But I think that's the wrong approach because so many people who are, you know, if you're addicted to a substance like meth, like meth is, is just a horrid substance because I mean, it's just, once it grabs a hold, it, it is hard to shake. And I mean, I see it, I see it every day and it's so frustrating yeah it's, and, a, it's a medical issue not necessarily a criminal issue to me yeah but, well no I, I i mean i i i think that as well and, and you and this is why i think you know if people are addicted then we there should probably be safe zones and they should be given narcotics in a in a safe way until they can can get off because guess what people who have the drugs don't do they don't rob people to get drugs right and they don't you know they're not out you know or you know people you know women who engage in prostitution because they have to it puts people in a in a in a way that they will break other laws Mm -hmm. because they they need to kind of fix this and you know so it's yeah i'm of that same mind as well okay so i I don't know if that really answered your question but it's just you know i'm just i'm I just want to help people. Yeah. I don't know. I'm with the mindset to answer your global question just because you know what I mean. Like <laughs> it's too big. It's too it's, big. I get it's, it. It's, I don't know that I have the answer. Okay. Honestly. So, so last thing before we're gonna we're gonna move on, but I just want to. This is so. This isn't even a question. Okay. This is a theory I have. This is like an idea, like like me trying to get super progressive. In okay. The, in, in, Let's hear in, it in the future. So I think a an, an advancement on the criminal justice system that would make it better is that I think the way it's set up now. It's like um, a debate competition. So, like when you're when you're doing debate in like school, mm-hmm. essentially you have a premise and then someone argues for and against, right? Now the person that's doing that, it's an exercise in argumentative logic. You do not have to believe what you are arguing for and against to actually do it. It's it's an exercise, right? Okay. And it's and who wins is the person who gives the best argument. Right. It's not who is the most correct. It is not who has the facts on their side. So by virtue of this, I think instead of looking at it like a competition, mm-hmm. which is how it is now, it is you win, you lose. Right. And human beings are conditioned that if you set up those parameters, we're going to win it pretty much at any cost. That's the way that's the way For sure. But would it be better instead of there was a, a defense and a prosecution that Everyone could just get together and say, can we just find out what happened? Right. Like, shouldn't it not really matter if, you know, someone argues better if they know, like, if they're just really good, if they're just like the Michael Jordan of lawyers (laughs) and they're, you know, prosecuting people who should have been prosecuted or getting people off who shouldn't have gotten off. Right. Doesn't that just not make sense? It just seems like we're set up in this paradigm that just is outdated for what the results we want we just want you know like i don't know it's, I, it's, I see exactly i think i think i get what you're saying and i if if it were up to me i think you should just 
be invited to go give a TED talk on that yeah. subject. I think. Well, I have to, you know, I have to, I have to get, do some uh, some graphs and uh, right. a PowerPoint. We can figure. <laughs> no, but this is just something that just came to me. I'm like, this is probably you know you have to think about it um, historically. Sure. You know, this system is is fairly advanced comparatively to history. Where right. it was like, hey, uh, you stole the mule. We're gonna hang you in this in the town square, and we're gonna wait about four minutes of due process and take take care of it, right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, so things have have evolved fairly quickly. But I look at it as something that, you know, it's just, yeah, I think, I think there's something about that human competition and and wanting to win and be great. And I beat you, and I got my person in it, and it's. You know, and because the system is so reliant on resources, oh yes, that it's favorite. Like there's this big thing. Yes, so Roger Stone got um, raided yesterday, right? And all the, um, if you guys don't know, he was involved with Trump, and he's a real shady motherfucker, like self admitted shady motherfucker. Absolutely. And um, everyone was complaining on like Fox News and stuff. They're like. They had thirty officers. And they they beat his door. How? I mean, he is not violent. And there's actually a Chappelle show episode about this this drug dealer Tron Carter. They that that if you if they treated drug dealers the way they treat white collar criminals, right? Which is that's what they do. They call them on the phone. They say, "Hey, what time would you like to uh, turn yourself in?" Yeah. Whereas, and then they treated a quote unquote white collar criminal. Like an actual criminal, and they're and they're and Everybody's they they, freaking they out. can't believe how dare you, sir? We we probably shouldn't do that to anyone that we don't think, but it's like, come on, guys! It's just the, just the standard about, but it's about wealth and oh, these are like even with I remember Giuliani was talking about. He's like, well, these aren't they're not like you know bad crimes. What he meant was poor people crimes. <laughs> exactly. Not like, you know, right? It, I don't know that that shit really gets this, under my skin. The, the the elitism. Totally. And, and again, I, I see it every day. So it, it drives me nuts, yeah. but I, I don't know that I know the answer other than, you know, I get, I, I like your little theory about that though. Cause that's, that's fascinating. Cause you're right. There's, I've seen great lawyers on both sides of the aisle that just wipe the floor with bad lawyers on the other side of the aisle. And you know, yeah, it's like it's are, like the Warriors playing the Knicks. You know what I'm saying? It's just right. coming, just nuts in the face. Three, <laughs> and it's just not fair. And it's yeah. it's hard to watch. In fact, yeah, um, I, exactly, exactly. And, but it, the difference is, is like this isn't just entertainment watching on TV. These are people's lives that are affected. So I'm, I feel you, man. Uh, but no you know, doubt, maybe Matt Newfeld making some changes we, in 2019. We, that's right. All right, we're gonna go and get our ticket together, get some fundraising. We're gonna make we're we're we're, 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 we're gonna make it happen. What's up, guys? Doc here cutting in just to let you know that's going to wrap up the first part of the Matt Newfield part of the conversation. Hope you enjoyed that. I thought it was really fascinating. It was very fascinating for myself to kind of talk about some of that subject matter, even though it's different for the show. But you know me, I like to mix it up. And we're going to get back to Matt uh, at the end of the show doing some hoops talk. But uh, for now, we're actually going to switch to our other guest, uh, Thomas Crawford. And before we get into the conversation, we're going to play a song by his band, Seraphim. And just so you know, the F spelled C-E-R-A-P-H-Y-M. And this song's called Mouthpiece. Check it out.
obviously you're in a band called Seraphim, or is mm-hmm. it? Is it? Do we call it a band? Do we call it a project because you're like a solo it's, solo it, man. It, it's kind of weird how it started. Uh, it started out as a band. It was this idea. Um, the the wife and I like we. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. The wife and I moved uh, to Huntington, West Virginia, about 15, 16 years ago, and. I've been in bands in Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, West Virginia. You're a guitar uh, player. Correct? I am a guitar player. Yes. Um, started out as bass. Um, got tired of playing other people's songs. <laughs> bass players don't generally write songs. And then I, I taught myself to play guitar. And but yes, I, I play guitar. Um, and we're sitting eating uh, lunch one day, and she's like, "If you could create a super group with." only past members of bands that you've been in who would it be it's like oh it'd be amazing i would have this guy wayne from crowning apathy would be great for vocals uh these are all local guys these local guys from the three states that i worked in um but from just different bands and um you know just was picking out like oh and i would have three guitarists because you know one really good guitar player in cincinnati and one good guitar player in west virginia um you know good bass player and good drummer just at various places and um Decided to start learning to do stuff virtually. So, you know, grabbed a laptop, Pro Tools, started learning to, to record. Started writing and recording riffs um, and uh, started, you know, passing some stuff online. And um, but this and, is when you're still trying to approach it from a band yeah. mentality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like we would write a bunch of songs virtually and then like get together once a month or once every other month and, and play them out and then like actually start playing shows once in a while and do like a little regional show thing. Um, after about six months of trying to do this, I, I found that I was the only one writing the music and doing, <laughs> no doing one the, was really sending much. And Well, some people uh, like that. Some people yeah. want, to, want to be the kind of maven over the project, but you, yeah. you, you wanted more of a collaboration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like the two guitar players I was working with are completely different styles and I thought it'd be really, you know, really interesting. Like one was more into like a heavy rock, you know, he... Um, you know, things kind of like Breaking Benjamin Tool, stuff like that. And the other guitar player was way more progressive. You know, he's the one that got me into After the Burial, um, you know, Glass Casket. Um, a little more progressive. Yeah, a little bit more progressive. Um, and I was always like very much right down the middle, rhythm guitar player, uh, into things like, you know, um, you know, Five Finger Death Punch, uh, Rammstein, Machine Head, just kind of more middle of the road. Middle of the road, liked you know a little bit of both sides of it, but I thought it'd be an interesting to to get them together. Um, and you know, I would hang out with them one on one, and we'd come up with some riffs and put it down, you know. And then I would go to Ohio and work with that guy. And um, but it, you know, in the end, like every time we try to get together, it just kind of fell apart. Yeah. How so? How, how long ago was this? I want to say about four years ago. Okay, not too long ago. Yeah, about four years ago, and then, um, uh, and then I someone turned me on to Easy Drummer because uh, I just kept writing single riffs but not full songs. Mm-hmm. Got Easy Drummer and it was like, wow, this is so easy to to build out full strong. They don't structures. lie. They <laughs> don't lie. It is it's like it's quite easy. Tune Track, please buy it. <laughs> exactly, it's ridiculous. Way, shout out to Tune Track. They they they've uh, sponsored me for for a while, and I I, I love them. So yes, sh- shout out to Bill. And if you don't have Tune Track stuff, just buy it because it's yes. amazing. 
it um all the the guys that do the recording they're always they're always using superior drummer um and a couple of guys that i that i've known that write music on their own the easy drummer has just been especially if you're not a drummer you, you don't know anything about it other than maybe guitar hero then this is perfect for you yeah, it's, it's just a great way i think to get your ideas down in a way that's presentable so yep. you can just you know because i remember back in the day with god forbid my brother would have the uh him and Corey, they'd have this who the hell made it and it was a drum machine yeah right and me i was like too dumb to work the, the dumb drum machine i was like well, you got what well, you gotta do what you gotta you gotta do plus I, I i didn't get it so i never messed with it i was like you you program it i'll mm-hmm. maybe i'll lay a riff down and then it wasn't until easy drummer that i did anything with drums right you know because i didn't i didn't know what the hell i was doing yeah oh I, yeah i saw the the advertisement it's like oh we got this thing called song creator and you literally like you find something and you drag it here and it brings out you just pick the structure and you can drag it into your DAW and I'm like oh this is amazing um so right after that I started writing songs left and right like it was just uh so simple um and then uh uh you know kept on trying to to build out the band slowly people started dropping off um and I just uh around that time I ended up moving to Seattle Washington uh for my job and what do you, what do you do again I am a global training delivery manager for a Fortune 50 online retail company. Okay. Um, so we can't, we can't drop no names. You gonna get in trouble? Uh, I may get in trouble by dropping okay. names, but they're they're pretty pretty big okay. names. But, uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if the you know the the deep state's gonna jump gonna jump through the, the window right now, <laughs> dropping a dime on them. I didn't know. Uh, big know, time. You know, I, I I have a lot of friends there that are that are interested in some of the stuff I do in the bands, and uh, and and uh, I've told them I was coming here and meeting Doc Coyle and going on the podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm totally gonna listen to. It. I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to be careful what I say now. Okay, <laughs> all right. I don't listen. I don't. I don't want to get too too, too <laughs> into deep, but I mean, part of you know, part of the reason why I think it's valuable yeah. to have someone like yourself on here is that. You know, I am in this like kind of one percent of one percent that gets to do music as a living, right? And metal, which is even even, even yeah, you know, even even harder. And then there's many kind of levels underneath that, right? So you have mm-hmm. someone who makes a little money from music, right? So they have another job, and then, oh, I got you know, I get hundred dollars from this gig, mm-hmm. or maybe I get a recording thing, or whatever. And then you have some people who are kind of just breaking even. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm trying, but I'm not losing money. That's right. That's good. Right. And yeah. then you have like where it's you have a job and then you're investing or it de- depends how you look at it. And I guess yeah. that, that's one thing I kind of want to ask you is what is your primary goals? Is it just an artistic endeavor mm-hmm. or is it like I want to be mm-hmm. this level or, or, or kind of follow this path? Um, on definitely the dream would be playing music full time, paying the bills, living comfortably, um, you know, playing for thousands of people. Uh, you know, I just, I, I love playing shows. It just, it's always been in my blood. It's kind of one of those things that I just, I've always enjoyed. Um, but it's also, you know, back when I started doing it, I'm, uh, about to turn 40. So back when I started getting into music, I was a little bit late. You know, I didn't yeah. get into it about 18, 19. Um, it was is, a that, lot is that something that you think about in terms of obstructing this kind of broader dream? Um, what do you mean? Well, I mean, for example, with myself, mm-hmm. when I moved out to LA, I was 32 going on 33. Oh, the age thing. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. I was, I was kind of worried because I was in a way 
not starting from zero, but starting kind of from a blank slate yeah. and thinking, all right, if I don't do this, like I had these kind of imaginary markers in my mind. Mm-hmm. Of, if I don't do blank by this age, then I'm going to be this age. By this After a while, I kind of threw that all that away. Yeah. Um, because I just realized I didn't really, I didn't really care, and I, and I realized it didn't really matter. Yeah. But I'm also, co- I have a resume, and I can just get a call, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just get, hey, you want to come on tour with this really cool band? I'm like, sure. And not, not everyone's in the position to kind of get that call or right. get that break yeah. in 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 the same way. So in in a lot of ways, and I've said this on here before, but when Bad Wolves started taking off yeah. and kind of becoming this primary thing in my life, I almost thought I wasn't. I was like, kind of gave up on having music be, oh yeah, like my main way I was going to make a living. Yeah, because in a way, and here's the thing that you probably know from your end is that once you actually do make a living from music, then you become kind of dependent on it, mm-hmm. and then it becomes scary because you're like, fuck. Now if I'm because you know it's almost like you know like that that live from Chappelle show you got you got to diversify your bonds like it's kind of good to be to have a foot oh, yeah. in a few different things because that way when oh, you yeah. lose one thing you're you, still you have a blanket yes but if you only like I make my living from this band yep and then the band is over and then you're living that's a kind of scary oh, yeah, prospect yeah, yeah. You know? yeah exactly um, the age thing uh, definitely when I was younger I think I was the same path I remember actually writing in a in a car I was. Uh, ended up being like when the bands I was in, I was always the youngest guy. And yeah. then slowly I started being the, the older guy. Welcome and to like, my life. <laughs> and then uh, like those, even one point, my nickname for uh, the, one of the last bands I was in, they called me Pappy. Um, I, I, I was the one that had the rules, like to drink maximum guys before going on. Like we got to behave like, yeah. And they're like, All right, whatever Pappy. Like, and then of course they would go and be doing shots behind my back. Like I was the, the rule guy, but um, I remember riding in a car with a drummer and he and I were the oldest ones. We're like, you know, we were 24 getting ready to turn 25 and both looking at each other like, dude, now we got to make it now. Like 25, you're over the hill. It's done. And yeah, I'm like, well, well your, tw- your, your 20s feel that way because yeah. you've essentially, you've only known a few different areas, right? It's you're a kid, yeah. you're a teenager, and you're tw- that you're adult, right? Yeah. So all you know is your 20s. So it's kind of even difficult to imagine anything besides that yeah yeah but definitely now i I had a really long break from actually like playing shows and stuff but still writing the music and getting stuff out there you know it um and then on i mean honestly um between yourself and and jamie josta and uh um the managemental guys like Mm -hmm. uh, i discovered your podcast a couple years ago because of uh the interview you did with uh, the guys in byzantine yeah um Deep cut. You know, it's yeah. funny. We did. I don't know if you. I, I probably mentioned in that, in that episode. But we did it right in front of the, the uh, the Roxy, like oh, in, yeah, in yeah, my yeah. car. Um, but no, like listening to these podcasts and like realizing that kind of the the, the gates to the the gatekeepers, like it's a lot more open now. Things like you know streaming with Spotify and CD Baby and diversifying all the different aspects that are available. That you know, there's just music everywhere, and people are able to, you know, go and write record do their own thing now and um now you know i think it seems uh, a little bit more accessible you know um and i i would also say like in my background and what i've uh, you know that for the company that i work for i started out very entry level i was an associate taking phone calls and built my way up through years to where i i now manage a team of about uh, I want to say about 30 people across the world. Um, if you'd have told me that 15 years ago that you'd be responsible for so many people and, you know, the 
you know, the training for customer service for a major online retailer, you'd have like, now you're out of your mind, but I learned a lot from it. Uh, you know, a lot of like leadership principles and, and how to run a business and kind of taking those similar mentalities to my music. Um, you know, I think it, it definitely is a stronger possibility. I yeah. think for me, the biggest hassle is time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well I, I think that's, um, I can't imagine, you know, if you, you know, work, a, no, so there's a job, there's a career, right? right? You're involved in a career which, you know, takes up, you can't just say, hey, I'm doing my 40 hours and I'm going home, right? right. There's, there's a lot more. And you, you travel a lot for your work. Yeah. So that's pretty extensive. But then you you take marriage, you take children, you take all these other things. And I can't imagine trying to launch something right. kind of in that, um, in, in in all of that really serious time-consuming stuff. Even even for, for myself, yeah. I find uh, it's, it's, it's very tough because I'm... Invo- involved, like as soon as I got home, I'm like, oh, you know what? I get to relax a little bit, figure things mm-hmm. out. And then, you know what I did? I just came home and said yes to everything. <laughs> and now I'm just doing 50 things. It's grinding my brain. I'm like, I don't know if I have enough time for everything. Like legitimately right. where I'm like, all right, I'm kind of, and that's what it is. There's, there's these kind of little sacrifices. Right. I think that, that, that you make and especially with creativity where you want it to kind of feel natural you want to feel inspired mm-hmm. but if you're like all right i have two hours to work on shit i better get something right. done i don't know if that's good or bad because sometimes that can spark you right you're yeah. not you're not fucking around you're really focused and then mm-hmm. sometimes it's like do you want to force creativity you know yeah. do you want to i don't know hey you do you have any plans this year <laughs> how's that going do you get 2020 well welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020 where myself benny goodman and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now the podcast about nothing your favorite podcast's favorite podcast do you enjoy nothing <laughs> so do we why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts thank you ready for a head-bangingly good time dive into the world of heavy metal with the brutally delicious podcast here we don't just talk music we welcome you into our heavy metal family join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars we go beyond the typical interviews exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal so whether you're a die-hard metalhead or just curious join our family and let the headbanging begin with the brutally delicious podcast I think it, at least the way that I've been, it, it's been slow and organic. Um, 
but I, I'll say that it, like it's been at the the most strangest things and actually coming like just finally come to the realization you know I'm owning all of this like the the music the writing of it I'm just going to go and, and do it and like if I'm you know happen to get up early one day and I, sometimes I'm able to work from home it was one morning I just woke up at four in the morning and wrote an entire song before hopping in the shower and getting getting on the road and going to work yeah um so that's pretty cool it's just more the the creative aspect of it i think coming up with that you know um it's more finding the time of like okay i've now i've i've created the rough draft it's now more of okay now i'm going to send the time and go all right i'm going to refine this i'm going to rearrange this i'm going to you know chisel this down um i need to add some things here before i send it off to you know my producer um you know things like that um i think that's where i'm at with it um so by the way, so I, so I listened, listened to a few of the songs. One of the things I, I can say that I, I liked about it mm-hmm. was a lot of the synth work. Yeah. Like it, uh, it almost, to me, it seemed like you have a bit of a mind for um, scoring mm-hmm. in a sense. Like it, it almost reminded me of some, like some John Carpenter things in really? there. Yeah, a little bit like, uh, you ever seen Big Trouble in Little China? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, 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 there's some really cool musical passages. I think it was the fir- literally the first song on your SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Because I the, the links you sent me for some reason wasn't allowing me to look at it, so I was, let me go to the SoundCloud. It was the same songs. Were there. Oh, okay, okay. But okay. I, but you had a lot more songs in there, so I went through. And I was like, oh, there's a, you know, a, first off, anything that that has like '80s type synthesizers, oh. I I just like it automatically. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, it's the first. It's the first yeah, thing yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but I thought no, I thought it had some really great a- atmosphere to it, mm-hmm. and um, and that's any anytime you're, you know, because a lot of people send me music, right? You know. Yeah. Hey man, check out my band. You know, even friends like who and you know, and, and you're trying as as someone who oftentimes it's people want feedback, right? Oh, you know, what what can I do here? And it's but it's sometimes it's about figuring out that little kernel mm-hmm. of what this particular project does well that sticks out. Yeah. Right. And that's what you're kind of that that's what, for example, a lot of people you know, look at uh, Rick Rubin, who's like a big he- hero of mine as a producer, and like, well, he does—he's not in the studio. He's, it's like, but that's not what Rick Rubin does. What Rick Rubin does is he takes a band. This is what he did with Metallica, and he said, mm-hmm. "What I need you guys to do is, I need you to go back and you listen to Master of Puppets. I need you to, <laughs> no, no, he and he, yeah. and he said, but he was like, I want you to try and put your minds and hearts kind of in that mind frame." Mm-hmm. Of where you were at when you were doing that, it wasn't to like recreate that, yeah. but just kind of re. What he was saying is like this is this era is what kind of made you who you are, right. and that's what people like about you. And I want you to just kind of put that on, and it focused them from their writing. So it's when I listen to st- stuff as as seeing a project that has potential, you say, okay, what's okay, this is pretty cool. That's okay, but okay, what's that? Okay, that's kind of interesting. Let's focus mm-hmm. on that. So it's kind of if I was being the the Rick Rubin. For your project, I would definitely say lean on that and kind of because I think mm-hmm. you that's it's a, it felt a little more kind of dynamic. Yeah, I think like you said because you're the stuff you like musically is very kind of down you know meat and potatoes kind of right. just just right right down Main Street and so the riffs have this kind of very straightforward kind of bulky mm-hmm. uh, sound to them. But those synths and stuff, I thought it was something that if you expand on that and kind of yeah. in, integrate that, because I, I can hear like the Fear Factory stuff and that and mm-hmm. some of the other songs, but I don't know, I thought that was that was really cool. Nice. So that, that's something I would, and so, so, so sometimes you do something well, what you want to do is take it and then turn it up to 10. Mm-hmm. So then it, so then you really kind of um, 
amplifying your your attributes. Yeah. You know, as a band to kind of like cuz the thing is people 9 times out of 10 only pay attention to extremes. When things mm-hmm. are just kind of like, oh, this band does a little bit of this, a little bit of that, it kind of goes over the head, but when they then when something slaps them in the face, like, what well, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> that's what kind of garners people's attention. Right. Nine out of ten times. Nice, nice. Yeah. That, but I figured it would be helpful to give you a little feedback, at least for me. I appreciate it. Yeah, because I totally didn't think you would have heard any of those. <laughs> I sent the the three that I sent you were kind of like the the older ones that that I've you know I, I sent a handful of songs off to um, a friend of mine in Cincinnati. Um, uh, his name's uh handsome uh, handsome rob he, he is did... he is he handsome though uh, how i mean how uh, you know cuz I, I i was i just got done watching the, the ted bundy documentary on oh, uh, no, netflix oh no he's he's not ted bundy level well no. it's like you know like i was listening to bill simmons he's like well he wasn't that handsome he was like serial killer handsome i'll put it a different way <laughs> to me he's like 1970s handsome like you notice like younger people just keep getting better looking have you noticed this? Yeah. They're just, you know, the structures get better. The abs get tighter. Like, they're just, people are just getting better looking, you yeah. know? Or is it that they're, like, forced to, like, start younger? Listen. Like, you see those people. Hold that- on, hold on. Roy Scheider was, like, an A-list star back in, like, 1975. You know what he looked? That motherfucker looks like a, a knuckle. His face, okay? <laughs> and listen, I love Roy Scheider. I'm just, I'm just saying. Tully Savalas was, like, starring in, like, number one TV shows. I mean... You know, have Columbo you seen with a sideways eye? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so they had so Zach Efron is playing Ted Bundy in this movie. All right, yeah. have you seen Zach? Zach Efron literally looks flawless. Yeah, like he has muscles. Well, you would expect I'm, a Greek god to look like. Yeah, yeah. It, does, it just doesn't make sense. I'm like, I, I can't look at you know. It's I'm just saying we're we're doing better. You know, the the, the, <laughs> the species is 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 kind of coalescing and we're moving forward in a way. I nice. think that's that's helpful. Nice. So you know, I just think he's he's handsome for the 70s, which is fine, <laughs> which is fine. He, Oh, we totally took a left turn in Albuquerque. Yo, listen, <laughs> listen. If you don't have tangents, this shit ain't fun. All right. Can't I just... thought it was the only one, but I, I love it. I no, love it. no. But we were we were talking about um, what handsome, the hell? handsome Rob, handsome Rob. Him these, all right. Send him these uh, these songs. They're they're a lot older. Um, you know, they're probably about two years old. Um, but uh, and then to hear the one that you listened to, I literally wrote like two months ago. Just, I haven't even like refined it, done all this stuff. I, I kicked it over my drummer. He's currently learning it as we speak and trying to see if he can come up with some different uh, drum aspects to it. So is it. he going to play real drums or just reprogram? He's going to play real drums. Uh, well, when, when right now, we uh, what we're trying to do is, just because it's easier for the budget and the constraints that I've got, is he's able to, to run it MIDI. Like with live drums, he's got triggers and so on. Yeah. And he can record it MIDI. Um, and then send it over, uh, and then uh, handsome Rob goes and and re- reprograms the the tones and whatnot. Um, I believe he's using Superior Drummer or something similar to that, where he can like flip the the tones to be completely different, but the hits are, are right there. So he's looking into that. But I've been wanting to get like uh, you know at least one album out, you know, you know something small. Uh, and how so do you, how do you plan to put it out? Um, uh, very slowly. Uh, I'm wanting to uh, really make sure that uh, wanting to get like a solid start of a base to where a fan base to where, you know, it actually is going to be meaningful. I don't want to just, Hey, I'm going to do an album release. And you know, I have like 150 people on my Facebook, yeah. you know, 40 people on my <laughs> Instagram. It's not, nobody's going to get it. So I'm trying to, you know, do some, some level of hype and building some stuff up to get some fans uh, started um, 
and also w- wanted to make sure I do it right. Like when I release it, I wanted to release it like, you know, and all the, the major, you know, the Amazon music, Apple music, uh, Spotify, all of that, yeah. um, have a little bit more control over it. Um, and that aspect and try to do it that way. And, you know, have that as at least something out there. Um, I'm, uh, currently shopping to do a music video as well for one of the songs, just so I have, uh, you know, something visual as well to kind of show people in that. Cause I've seen that usually is a lot more uh, easier to attract, uh, more fans. It's imperative. It's, it's kind of funny when you think about, uh, the MTV era, which I, oh, grew, yeah. I grew up on. And as that kind of faded, I think many of us thought like videos weren't going to matter as much anymore. Right. And in many ways they, they matter more. I was actually, let me put it away. They don't matter more. It's just, it actually matters more to everyone. Whereas like only a handful of people would ever get played on MTV. Right. right. So if you were some, you know, uh, you know, struggling thrash man, you might not even have a music video because, because there was nowhere to play it. Right. But now on everyone, it's, it's essentially your, your business card, right. you know, or like a, you know, e- what they call back in the EPK. You know? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it, it is really, really important. Um, like I look with bad wolves, a big reason why we pretty much got all the attention we got when we first came out was the learn to live video. There was some, mm. it, you know, oh. they just, just visually <laughs> like the song and everything that kind of mm-hmm. went along with it really, it was a mission statement that pe- that people were easy to connect to. And it had a, a, you know, a kinetic thing where it's it spread around and got a lot of views and kind of once it's out there, it kind of did its own work, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. Cause that wasn't without a label. That was without nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, I mean, that's what I've thought about, like, you know, not doing a full release until I've done something like that. Like, yeah. honestly, like some aspects of it, I've kind of modeled after what I've seen bad wolves do. And some of it, like I, I've been a huge God forbid fan. I was a devil driver fan from the beginning um, it was a, a huge Divine Heresy fan. Um, and then come across this Learn to Live, like, holy crap, that's Doc Coyle. There's Tommy Vexed. That's uh, that's John from Devil Driver. Like, holy crap, this is this is going to be amazing. Um, and super excited to see that and see that, like, I was just so hungry for that album to come out. Yeah. And it took you guys, like, forever. <laughs> so well, I was like, that one song, <laughs> like, I can only listen to this so many times, you know, and then uh, Toast of the Ghost come out. Uh, I was like, okay, okay, cool, cool. I, I like where this is going, and then, uh, yeah, and then finally the album came out. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a year. It was, yeah, it, was, it, was it was it was about a year because the yeah. album came out in May, and I'm pretty sure the that I think that actually might have dropped in March or something mm-hmm. like that or April, something like that. Yeah. So it was it was it was over a year. But the only reason it took that long, we basically had a record done. When that was when that was released, when that was released, yeah. But we didn't have a record label, so we shopped it around. Mm. Uh, we actually we shopped it around a little bit. No one bought bit, put out the video. Then everyone wanted us after the after it it, it kind of hit, and then uh, we signed with Eleven Seven. But basically, if you finalize a record deal at a certain point, and you and essentially. Uh, they have to kind of match everything up with like these release dates. So if you miss a certain cutoff, then it, your record gets right. pushed to the following following year. A certain plan of record, as it were. Yeah, yeah. And um, but it actually worked worked out really well for us because it was so long between when we signed and when the record was coming out. We got to keep working on the record. So mm-hmm. like literally five key tracks were done within that time period or finished or added so it and songs that were going to be on the record end up being b-sides because we had better stuff so Mm -hmm. whether it's no masters or remember when Mm -hmm. or um officer down all that stuff was 
later yeah. stuff. It wasn't part of the original eleven or twelve songs. So it uh, so that's that really helped us. And I know people are like, "Give us more shit." It's like, listen, we want to, <laughs> but listen, it's, I think it's better to have some type of anticipation. Yeah. Than oh yeah. People wanting something, then then you know. Oh have, yeah. Like I, I definitely was like, God, when is this coming out? <laughs> like this is gonna be amazing. Listen, wait till you hear the new shit. It's, it's, off, it's off the chain, son. Yeah. But anyway, enough enough enough, <laughs> enough about me. Um. You know, I, I guess, you know, part of this was, was you know, speaking with you was to kind of give a little insight because I guess in, in many ways you represent a lot of the listeners yeah. of the show who are who have their projects, who have their bands, who kind of listen to the show to say, OK, what um, what can I learn yeah. to about or to avoid this, to kind of, you know, penetrate this? And I think to a certain degree. You know, the industry has changed so much. Yeah. Right. And when I left, God forbid, I was in many ways, I was in a position not too dissimilar from yourself where I'm kind of like, all right, how the hell do I mm-hmm. promote a new band? And it's more relevant with my other band, Vegas Nerve, because it wasn't like that was with a bunch of other famous people. It was a passion project. It wasn't that metal. We mm-hmm. put it out ourselves. It was very kind of trying to figure, figure this stuff out. And I think, you know, where you're going from, all right, we're going from production phase to potentially a marketing phase and you're, and you're figuring it out. Yeah. And one of the, I think the biggest challenges is that, like I said, I'm 38, you're, you're almost 40, almost, 39, 40, 30, almost 40, right? Um, the biggest difference to when I started in the music industry is that when you lose that kind of youthful coalition, yeah. right? So that's how kind of scenes develop is that, you know, I was in a hardcore scene and you have these group of people oh, and these yeah. group of friends and these group of bands. Like you would see all, all that, all that uh, back in the day when you know some local band mm-hmm. and they play and they like pack the video. It's all their friends and it's you know. Oh yeah. And then you get older and it's like where, where, where the friends at? Where yeah. Where, where, where Tom go? Where, where, <laughs> where Billy? Where Tony? They they're gone. They're at home. You know. Yep. And I got kids. I got to work in the morning. Well, no, but 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 the thing is, uh, these scenes kind of kind of dissolve um, from kind of this localized friend based thing, and then you have to figure out. Okay, I have this thing. And we're in an environment where uh, attention is the number one commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone, how do we get people's attention, right? They're, they're being pulled this way. They're pulling this way. And you have to figure out how to hold that and, and, and grab that. And it's not easy. Right. You know, so that's something you're, that's kind of the, the barrel you're looking down yep. right, right now. Um, and, you know, do you have a plan? Uh, I do. Uh, so... Kind of, or I guess a little bit of the the part we missed. Um, so I, I moved to Seattle and completely starting, you know, again from kind of like I, I'm I'm writing all these songs. I'm going to build them up. Um, you know, went in and started. I'll, I'll just find people to come and play the music, and I'll find a, a vocalist to come and do vocals. And um, and what I, I keep finding out for the years is a lot of musicians are flakes. Like they just, <laughs> it's, I, I've got so many emails and messages, message chains from vocalists. Like I probably talked to five to 10 different vocalists, all of them are like, Oh my God, dude. Like they would send me something that they've done. I'm like, you, what is that? you're saying musicians are not reliable. Uh, is that, is that what you're saying? They're the, the least reliable uh, I was told we had the best and the brightest. <laughs> so I was, so I was told. Oh man. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know how many vocalists. So like, you know, I hear their stuff and I'm like, you know, I think, uh, I think you might be a good fit, but I really want to hear you, you know, your interpretation of my stuff. I'll send you a track, kick it over crickets. Yeah. 
three months later and I get excuses and I, uh, and literally I want to say about two or three months ago, I just come to the realization of why do I need a vocalist? You know, uh, why not, you know, take it a little bit of a different direction, kind of like what you were saying with the, the, the cinematic aspect of it. Um, actually it was, I, I want to say that the, the last song I wrote, uh, which the name of it is even escaping me at the moment. Um, I wanted it to be more about the, the feeling of the, you know, the, the song, um, and maybe, you know, it's, it's a word I can't pronounce. Oh, circumvulation or something like that. Say what? It is. Who did uh, to say what? <laughs> I, so all my songs are working titles. Um, so if, if you work in a dollar pro tools, you can't like start a session and, you know, write and record and then name it. They yeah. make you name it first. So I always have to come up with some goofy name. And I just happen to be, uh, when I come up with the, the last business trip, I was in Costa Rica and I was using the GPS and it kept on telling me when I was going in, like, turn on circumvulation. And it just, I was like, that is a funny word and I'm going to name a song after it. Um, but yeah, so thinking of these themes or, you know, these, these emotions and whatnot, um, you know, trying to come up with some synth stuff to kind of fill in there and, and kind of do... Uh, like kind of where I landed is I, I've got a live drummer. Um, you know, I, I, I always wondered like, you know, how do I do this without multiple guitarists? Cause I write usually two or three guitar parts to the stuff, you know? Um, and I'm not a lead guitarist. Like the, the, the melodies I put in there, there's something that I'll get like once or twice and I'll get it nailed, never be able to play it again. And I totally forget what I did, but you know, I'll, I'll do the rhythm parts. Um, and then I went to a show not too long ago and was literally watching like a, a couple of bands where there was only one guitar player, but I'm hearing three guitar parts and, um, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, they're just kind of like, you know, like the putting within, on tracks. Yeah. Yeah. So like some backtracks with, uh, with pro tools or something like within the ruins, uh, saw them live. I mean, and there's three guitars later. I mean, Joe is ridiculous. Um, and I went and talked to him and he's like, oh yeah, I'm running pro tools and I'm doing this and you know, we're kind of doing it that way. I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. But even then I was thinking like, okay, that makes sense for, you know, something like, uh, you know, like Mark Rizzo, you know, where he's doing his, yeah, you know, he's got the iPod, you know, iPod thing going and he's, you know, flamenco, all, all that nonsense. Um, and I'm not a lead guitar player. And then I saw this band. I, I, I don't want to divulge who it is. <laughs> they were an opening band, uh, for one of the major tours, uh, that come through Seattle. And I was hearing like, you know, these, these layered guitar parts, and I'm watching the guitar player only playing the rhythm tracks. And I'm seeing like all these people losing their mind over it. I'm like, Maybe maybe yeah, people no, don't need this. No one cares anymore. Nobody cares. No. No. So the, all they and, and and I'm watching him like I could totally like if I had a crowd of people playing my stuff like I could I could crush it like it'd be it'd be great. Um. So that that's kind of the the direction I'm taking. Um. I do have some friends that are vocalists that you know, um, will do like guest spots here and there. One of the songs I sent you, um, it's called Dirty Vessels. Uh, a friend of mine from uh, he 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 wrote his own industrial music in Kentucky. Um, his uh, name's uh, Jason Miller, uh, amazing vocalist. Kind of reminds me of a, a a white zombie era Rob Zombie, very gritty. Um, 
but uh you know he he he's not a fan of like doing the band anymore and doing shows but you know he does like writing lyrics every now and then he's like i'll do a song and i've got another friend of mine from cincinnati um that's you know flipping through a couple see which ones he likes and you know having that kind of in the background um you know for a couple of songs but you know then i started you know kind of watching shows like dead mouse like and seeing how you know the the edm stuff that people are like there's no band it's a, a guy with turntables and you know the 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 sense and the mixing boards and stuff like that and a lot of leds and a lot of live shows yeah you, like, ha- you have to think outside the box and kind of think as an, an entertainer even right. i even i thought about that for a second i was like when i was you know figuring out what i was gonna do i was like maybe i could do some solo show where i'm right Doing, you know, doing some weird stuff, you know, there's there's definitely different ways to go. And, and in some ways that could also make you stand out, you know, by just yep. not doing something traditional, mm-hmm. you know. But um, no, man, I think I think it sounds I think it sounds really cool. And it's, and it's just, you know, what keeps this moving, right, is enthusiasm, yep. right? It's like this machine runs on. Mm-hmm. optimism and enthusiasm and fun <laughs> and joy and, and it's and it's kinetic and and it has to keep keep moving because if one day you're like ah, I'm not really feeling it then you're not going to do it right right it's all so so it is all all, all yeah. about that you know yeah I was like uh my um like I said I travel a lot for work and um the rehearsals and the and the jam sessions haven't been as frequent as I used to with the drummer um uh but uh, every time he and I get together and we started like kind of piecing this together, like it just feel like I enjoy, like I, I've got the visuals of the shows, like there, you know some parts on you know like how I would totally do it from a show perspective and and like I get into the full energy even of just a rehearsal in, in a dude's garage. So that yeah, for me the enthusiasm is still there. I think. Um, so the, the album is called Dissension. Yes. And uh, yeah. do you have a release date, or we don't know? I, I don't have a release date. I'm wanting to project. I want to say mid to late summer is what I'm going to try try right. for. Well, we'll definitely uh, play a song here. I don't know if I'll do a pre-play or a post-play. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how <laughs> we'll it. See how it goes. We'll, 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 we'll see how it works. But um, we we'll, no, definitely have people check that out for sure. So that was the second part of the show where Doc Coyle talks to the show listeners. And that was Thomas Crawford. Thank you so much to him for being on the show. And if you want to check out his band, Seraphim, you can go to facebook.com backslash Seraphim. And if you want to listen to the songs, you can go to soundcloud.com backslash Seraphim dash music. And yeah, so what I'm actually going to do is... You know, I, sometimes I just leave the the NBA talk to the end because I know everyone doesn't necessarily want to listen to that. So this show, it, it might feel a little jagged, it's a little different, but I, I feel like this is the best way to construct it to keep your attention. So I'm going to throw some NBA talk uh, on the back end of this. And what I'm going to do, I had all both uh, Thomas and Matt ask me some questions, and I'm going to do put that on, on another episode, and you guys can kind of listen to that separately so it's not too much to listen to in one sitting and hopefully you'll enjoy that. And one thing I want to say before uh, I sign out here is I'm not doing this again. So <laughs> please don't, don't flood my, my inbox with uh, Hey, can I get on the show? It's, this is a one-time thing, even though I'm splitting up into two episodes, it's a, it's a one-time event. And uh, you know, 
but with that, I, I definitely appreciate the support, you know, without the support of the listeners, I definitely couldn't do this. And it is, it is most appreciated. So you're going to hear coming up, me and Matt talk a lot about the San Antonio Spurs, which, <laughs> you know, if you're a hoops head, you enjoy it. If you're not, you can turn it off now. So, you know, I'm doing you a favor. Anyway, Mamba will be out, but not until his last segment. But anyway, love you guys. Thank you so much. Apologize for the delay in episodes, but I'm home for almost a month. So we're gonna we're definitely gonna have a lot of shows coming out. Uh, I got Mark Morton coming up. I've got Chris Dudley from Under Oath, and yeah. And I'm while I'm home, I'm gonna try and get as many interviews as I can. So it should be fun. Talk to you guys soon. I want to talk a little hoops. Since we've been we've been kind of peppering some some hoops talk, yes, here here and there. Um, you're a big hoops guy. I am Spurs fan. Grew up, born and raised. I can tell you where I was in '99 when they won it. Okay, where where were you? I was on my parents' pink couch. That That's they, had. they they whooped they whooped my my Knicks ass. <sighs> they did, but dude, By the way, had a good was, team too. Though. Well, that was so. I kind of a theory that if Patrick Ewing didn't get hurt. Then at least there would have been a chance. I think maybe we go five, six games, you know, because then you you had Larry Johnson, you had Allen Houston, you had Spreewell. Y'all were a very good team. That was but a very the good problem team. was they Didn't had you Starks too. No, no, Starks was already gone because they traded Starks for, right. for Spreewell. You had Marcus Camby started. So you that's had, right. So, that's right. But Marcus Camby, he's long, but he's like two hundred pounds, stopping went. True. And you got Duncan and Robinson just tearing on the inside. They had no centers really. So that's they, they had no size, and that's how they got. That's why they got destroyed. But um, you said you were also at the game Ugh. when <laughs> Derek Fisher. So people always remember the Derek Fisher shot. Yes, this is when the uh, the Lakers beat beat the Spurs. It was like two thousand three or two. I think it was two. It was on the way to yeah. their last championship. But, that, but the shot before that was the crazy Tim Duncan. You remember shot. that too? Thank you. Well, that's what like- <laughs> no one. Sometimes people don't remember it because yep. falling away, top of the key over Shaq. Yeah, and well, the thing that's kind of crazy, and this is me because that was kind of the dark years where I was touring and I fell oh, out. Okay. Of, I fell out of basketball for about five years. Okay, and so I missed I missed a lot of stuff. But because I'm fascinated by history, I like to go back and and see. Because I was like, all right, so what happened? And I saw that that the kind of the Duncan. Spurs never really beat Kobe and Shaq. They they got oh gosh my I want to say what they did, but not. But I'm saying in that three year period oh, where they won, yes, or the four year because they, they went three years and then did they lose? Or so they it won? was Spurs in '99, Lakers in 2001 and 02, and then the Spurs in 03. Okay, so the, so did they beat? Did they beat them that year? I want to say they did, but okay. I. So maybe they did beat him. Okay, maybe they did beat. And then, then the next year, that's when the Lakers got Carl Peyton, Malone yep, and all that. And, and, then, and then they lost in the, in, the, in the finals. Yep. So, um, no, but but so I guess so maybe they did. But so it's all right. So you know, let's not even go go back in the past. Let's talk about right now. Uh oh. All right. What what's up with the Spurs? Are we are we happy? Are we not happy? I know you're mad at Kawhi. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because I I, I have a good friend who's way more objective about this than I am. And, you know, when, when it happened, he was like, look, bro, like he helped bring us a championship. Like we just got to appreciate it and let it move on. And I just can't, I'm just like bitter being like, you know, here's why is last season is why you were injured 
air quotes. You were injured. Okay. Um, you came back, so you were fine, allegedly. You came back, you played nine games, and then all of a sudden you were injured again. But he was not – he was definitely not full Kawhi. He, had, he was he – was, 22 points, his percentages were down. He was not the guy. He was not playing well. Sure. I'm just saying, he, he did not look at full strength, right. in my opinion. And and so the thing that gets me is, is let me just put it succinctly, he, he hijacked an entire season of my fandom without explaining why. That's the way I feel about it. But he's the quietest motherfucker that's ever played. I mean, True. he said like four words. No one knows what's going on, except for that laugh. <laughs> the laugh. <laughs> I, I need to actually find that and, uh, and put that Please put that in do. This. I think you should include that on your intro song. Well, right? there's there's probably some. I, th- I know there's some remixes of, of the song. Oh, they're, they're of, everywhere. Of the laugh. The there's quiet, some good the stuff. The quiet laugh. And by the way, for all the non-basketball fans, I'm sorry. You just kind of have to take it. <laughs> Fast forward to this. It just, it, it hurt me the way it went down, but to... I didn't answer your question. I'm I'm happy because we got something in return. And the way it went down, you know, he he held us over a barrel. Yeah. You know, basically saying I'm not going to play for you. So you got to trade me. So teams had no incentive to give us anything. Amazingly enough, you know, the Well, I actually disagree. I think it was just one of two paths. The one path, which was the more obvious one, was to do what most teams do is to roll it into young players right. and, and draft picks. True. But because Pop is like, listen, I ain't going to be around in three or four years. I need an all-star now so we can be competitive. <laughs> and I don't think that was a bad move. I mean, DeMar DeRozan is great. Oh, and, and I'm not saying that it is. I, I I love having him. I'm glad we got him in return. And, and Pottle, actually, the other guy that was... I, I think it's Pertle. Pert, I'm, you're right. I'm yeah. sorry. Pert, you know, has been playing phenomenally the last yeah, couple of months. Pertle. That's right. Man, you, sorry. that that You're spot on there. My... my uh, what is he? You Latin? say Antetokounmpo? I Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo. Nitlikina. I prefer just Greek freak. <laughs> Giannis. That's how we. That's how we Giannis. type it. I can't spell it. I can say it. I can't. Yeah, exactly. He's man. That guy's a beast. Um, but anyways, I you know I'm glad we got something in return. I I was I'm I try to be at least somewhat objective. I realistically know we're not as good a team as we were, but it's nice to see it. You know, we had a pretty good stretch stretch there for a while. We, you know, we had some pretty good wins. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think a lot of that actually doesn't isn't that relevant to Kawhi in particular. I think, you know, a lot of the the decisions the team did when you know was going to kind of older more. So you had Rudy Gay and you had um, uh, Pal Gasol and players like that, and then unfortunately. The Spurs have this uh, this kind of way about them where they develop these unknown guys. Totally. And then they get signed and they get paid. Yep. Um, like, uh, jo- was it uh, Jonathan? Uh, Simmons. Simmons went oh, to man. Orlando. And then Deadman went to Atlanta. I was sad when we lost both those guys. And the same thing, you know, Tiago Splitter. Like, you had all these guys that yes. you just didn't know who they were. They he come had out. rocks for hands, though. I yeah. like him. And then like uh, Corey him. Joseph, another, oh, another yeah. great guy. He's yep. And he's still great in in toronto so they have this is he still in toronto uh i or that or indiana something like that he's i one, can't remember he's, one of those, he's still he, in the league for but sure he's still good still but a my, good player but my point is and then you see what um danny green is doing is doing in toronto which Huge they, they kind of got they kind of fucked up but i guess the reason why they trade him so like well he plays the same position as tomorrow so it well it was it was for the numbers they had to include him for the number to oh, make okay. the numbers fit gotcha 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 but anyway, so but so they have this reputation of being able to you know draft guys in the twenties, the second round, or undrafted, and develop them, and then someone else, then they can't afford to pay them. Um, so I, so I think some of the team con- construction 
ultimately, I think that might have factored into Kawhi's decision as well. He probably looked around and said, well, well this guy's old. This guy's past his prime. If I stay here, what's going to be around me? You know, I wonder. I I see your point. And and I think the, the season before he got hurt, when, when he got, when Zaza cut him, undercut him and, and hurt his ankle. Most bullshit. I was so pissed oh, off, I was, man. Oh, I was mad. Um, Fuck a Zaza. For real, man. I can't believe he's still in the league. That guy's trash. Anyways, I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, that that season, my big concern about our play and the reason why I thought we might have lost that series anyways, you know, a lot of people want to say, oh, man, if he was healthy, we would have won that series. And Well, you would have had a shot. We would have had that, a shot. That was the whole point. But my fear was, you know, that's a well-coached team, and we relied on him too much. We, yeah. You know, it was like, we don't know what to do. We're all going to stand around. You go make something happen. And, you know, it's just there was a chemistry issue. Yeah. So I, I don't know. You know, in the end. I had no effect on it, but I I just I'm gonna keep cheering for him regardless. So is the does anyone have a shot against uh, Golden State? Is this done? Is it a wrap? Boogie's back. He looks great. He's playing 15 minutes and getting like 15 points, 15 minutes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so it's over, right? We're, I don't know, man. You know, I hate to say that. I, you want to you want to think there's some parity, but it's hard. It's no, really there is parity. There's parity. They're actually there. There's most of the league is hovering between 40 and 60 percent. That's fair. So this is about as good a parody you're going to get. But I'm saying, and I ask this anyone, everyone who's on here, we talk hoops. I'm like, is there any shot? Does anyone have a chance? I will say yes. And here's why. Who? Draymond was the glue and yeah. Draymond has fallen off a cliff. But he's actually been, looked really good last couple yeah, weeks. Okay, sure. He looks really intense. He looks like he's getting back getting in the dialed shade. in. Yeah. 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 You I, know. Was, I was with you. It's just he can't shoot. But his defense is, is still really great. And Fair. His, and his di- distribution, and you could say everything he's lacking, right. they just replaced it with Boogie. True. Goodness, so, which isn't even fair. But, you know, I you know, people said this about the Spurs for years, so I guess I can say it about LeBron James. But, like, you, you kind of can't really count him out ever. Like, yes, they're struggling because he's been injured, but, like, it's hard to ever count that guy out. I mean, you know, I don't need to spell it out. I mean, he's he's just unbelievable. You know, yeah, well, and I think he's coming back either today or the next couple of days. So, oh, okay, so, but you know, but here's the thing about the Lakers, they're gonna be fighting for a playoff spot, because they will, they, because but they, I, I think they can get there. Oh, I think, I think so too. And but the thing is, I think Rondo being hurt helped, um, definitely hurt them. And then now, uh, um, Lonzo was out. Oh, I didn't know and, that. And Lonzo was really starting to come around and having some really good games, right. so you know, I think it's gonna be interesting, but I was kind of like, oh, well, maybe. You know, Boogie, he'll he'll be look a little, a little step slow. Right. I watched that first game. He was hitting threes. Yeah, that's he was bully balling, grabbing rebound. Like, no, nah, because usually those Achilles injuries, like, I mean, well, like for instance, Rudy Gay, like, you know, his his first year back, it took him a while really to get his, his well, legs. Well, I think with um, the Achilles, it's if it happens past a certain age, you're fucked. So that's uh, basically what Kobe, right? Um, but you have a situation where um, Dominique Wilkins mm-hmm. tore his tore his, uh tore it and he came back next year and averaged like 28 points a game he was a freak too you know on great percentages and it it, it um usually adversely affects big men because right. all that weight and all that all, and all that stuff so you know i think and you know i think we always have to remember every year the technology the no sports kidding. science it gets better and better so uh you know some of these injuries that would have been career ending especially because he was pretty young when it happened and i think that 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 helps and that is that's a really good point. So yeah. so I think there's you know like you look at guys like 
uh, Zach Levine tore his ACL, comes back, and he's still still forty four inch vertical. Super athletic. Yeah, he's awesome. So so I think things have kind of changed um, a little bit. Anyway, all right. So we're gonna wrap up the the basketball talk. Cause okay. Because we'll, you know what, this will never stop if we we, we go down. That's too, true. Too I could I could go on. I could go on. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Oh, 